Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show where we take what people were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and 90s, whether in magazines or fanzines or whatever, and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to the primary source or it might go off on a tangent. Who knows? For this episode, I'm joined by my Doctor Who show co-host, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Rob. Are you intrigued as to what issue of Doctor Who magazine I have in front of me? Yes, you, you really surprised me with the last time we recorded one of these, so surprise me again. <laughs> this is issue 186 from May of Ooh. 1992. Ooh, I, I remember this one. Ooh, it's got Davo on the cover. Uh, Davo from the Black Guardian trilogy. Yes. I remember oh, this I remember one. I yes. yes. Lovely drawing of him, yeah. Mm. The first letter is called Recalcitrant Review. I am writing in defence of Mark Platt's new novel, Time's Crucible, which was criticised in Off the Shelf in Doctor Who magazine 184. This is the first of the New Adventures series that I'd actually call a proper novel, a good read at a decent length. If Gary Russell finds the book heavy going, then I suggest he sticks to the target novelizations. The New Adventures are aimed at an older and wider audience, the books, unlike the target novelizations, are not written for children. If 10-year-olds find the book confusing or boring, then tough. We older readers, unlike the recalcitrant Mr. Russell, welcome a challenging, taxing, lengthy and entertaining book. Well done, Mark Platt. Can we have more articles on the Davison Doctor in Doctor Who magazine? And again, this isn't me still, this is the letter. <laughs> Articles on this era seem few and far between. That's from Gareth Room, Birkenhead, Merseyside. Well, I agree with Gary, and I agree with Gareth. Ooh, okay. Uh, I, I think that Gareth is absolutely right in that Times Crucible was the first new adventure, and, and therefore really the first Doctor Who novel of any sort, that could be considered a, in inverted commas, proper novel a proper sci-fi novel it mm. was very literary it was very heavy um it was certainly the biggest one published to date and, and i suspect by, by quite a long way just by me by me visualizing the size of the spines of uh of the books that came before and how big that one was so he, he, i think his characterization of times crucible is absolutely right it was a direction that the new adventures had to go to not not consistently but they needed to have that that arrow in their quiver, so to speak. Mm. Gary Russell is also absolutely correct. And, and, and let me say, when you uh, when you read the headline of the letter, my, my thought in my head was, oh, Gary Russell's about to get a kicking. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember a kicking uh, in so many issues around this era. <laughs> that That's was amazing. It was kind of a trope of sort of that early nineties DWM that, that Gary Russell would just get a kicking in the letters page on a on a regular basis for his his reviews. It was quite funny. I wonder what happened to him. Um, but yeah, I think I think Gary Russell is also right that it was a big step to take and it certainly wouldn't have been to everybody's liking. And, and Mark Platt would probably make no apologies for that. I mean, you look at his work on screen as the script writer for Ghostlight. Uh, he wrote the novel of Battlefield, which is, which is a very, very good book, a very, very good target novelisation. But he's also very... Not a harder reading. Actually, no, I will say that. It, it is a tougher read than your typical target novel. And Time's Crucible was a tougher read than your typical new adventure. Uh, that's that's okay. So so they are 
they are both right there. It's interesting that Mark Platt didn't do a huge amount more and kind of went off in on his own direction. That's it's yeah, it's it's really, really curious. But I guess I should mention the Davo thing and I I think Gareth is absolutely correct here. I think Davo as I think we've discussed before on the podcast, certainly at this time in fandom suffered a bit because on the one side of Davo, there's Tom Baker. Mm. Seven years, larger than life, many people's favourite era. At, at this stage, he was the un, you know unbackable, clear landslide winner of every poll for favourite Doctor. He, he was Tom Baker. Yeah. On the other side of Davo, you've got Colin, who is again larger than life, very active in fandom, and a very controversial era. It's, it's the time when the show got cancelled and then back on hiatus and then trial happened and Bonnie Langford was cast. And, yeah. you, you know, you could debate the Colin Baker era and, and there's a lot to say about the Colin Baker era. You know, you can write a defence of the Colin Baker era. You can write an attack of the Colin Baker era. You can write a new perspective on Trial of a Time Lord. You can talk about the unmade original plan, season 23, which I actually think would have been a pretty cool season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, this is 92, so a lot of the details of something like that season weren't really known. I mean, I mean, we'd had the three novels come out, but at this stage we still thought that there was one story that was in Singapore with Autons and the Master and the Rani and et cetera, et cetera, which we now know was sort of actually not the case. You know, they were, there were different ideas for different stories and yeah. some of them were never going to happen. So so the point the point that I'm, I'm getting to is that you've got seven years of Tom Baker to write about. You've got huge controversy of Colin Baker to write about. In Davo, you've kind of just got this neat, tidy little three years. You've got the Doctor himself at this stage was very much in his get-a-life sort of phase towards fandom. Massively. Mm, um, Janet Fielding was um, in her get-stuffed-and-get-a-life um, phase of, of her relationship <laughs> with fandom, I think it's fair to say. And Mark Strickson was you know, very engaging with fandom, but living in Australia. So we got to engage with Mark, but the UK fans didn't. So, there was you know, a documentary. Uh, sorry to butt in. There was no, no, a documentary in the nineties because it was on VHS tape, and I remember my my brother bought it, and it had Davo and Mark Strickson wandering through a forest or some kind of green field. Oh, one of the and Myth Makers was it? I don't know. No, no, I don't think. It, no, it couldn't have been because I don't think he ever bought any of those. Mm. And. Davo was like wearing sunglasses and acting like a bit of a, a superstar and being very dismissive because he's he's already got that sort of humour about him, you know, which he brings to everything oh, he does. Oh, he's got a wonderful dry sense of humour. Yeah, but it's really snarky and really snippy about the show. Like, he yeah. just doesn't care. And it's like, wow, how things change once the convention circuit amps up once big finish amps up once his son-in-law is in this hot new show called doctor who suddenly he's back in love with the show again because <laughs> it used to actually make me quite sad that my favorite doctor for this period in the 90s whenever i'd see him he was so dismissive and not into it at all yeah so i think that also makes it very difficult to really be doing articles so i i get that dwm probably didn't do a lot of Davo stuff in that sort of period and so yeah I totally get where Gareth was coming from yeah Gareth room Birkenhead there we go shall we move on yeah okay 
This next one is called Is Tomb Doomed? <laughs> At last, after all the mourning, hype and rumours, the BBC have managed to track down the Tomb of the Cybermen. I, like most fans, am delighted at this discovery, but I must express a little concern. Gary's about to get another kicking, isn't he? <laughs> no, no, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so, something you and I both love is about to get a kicking. Oh, okay. It wasn't so long ago that the Dalek invasion of Earth was regarded as one of the all-time classics. Rave reviews and hype surrounded it. Since the BBC released it on video, it has noticeably dropped in popularity. This can be seen in the lower positions it receives in fan magazine opinion polls. Sadly, it was a victim of too much hype. People's expectations were sky high, only for them to be disappointed. The Tomb of the Cybermen was shown in 1968 and was junked by the BBC in the mid-70s. Only a handful of fans can really claim to have vivid memories of it. Due to the fact it was lost, it suddenly became regarded as a classic, simply because that handful of people remembered it being good and it had the Cybermen in it. It seems that the enigma of being a missing story immediately creates this hype, but frankly, I'm sure no one can take Cybermen made out of ping pong balls seriously. I look forward to seeing it, but there are bound to be disappointed fans. And that's from Kieran Kinsella, Sawbridgeworth in Hearts. I have no idea where that is. I think it's an abbreviation for Hertfordshire. Oh, that would make sense. I know where I that think. is. Where yeah. the cows come from. <laughs> so, Dave, he uh, he thinks only a handful of people have seen Dalek Invasion of Earth here in, where are we, 1992. Millions would have seen it in the 60s. It's not that long since then. No, it's it's not. And, and look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with a couple of things that Kieran says right from the, the off. And, and they're things that I think that fandom kind of accepts because it's easy. Um, certainly this idea that because something becomes missing, it's instantly a classic, I think is is too easy and is simply not true. Um, mm. I, I mean, nobody ever tells you about that classic story, The Savages. You know, <laughs> nobody right. ever tells you about The Smugglers. Nobody ever talks about that lost classic, The Highlanders. Um, there are many things that are lost that are just forgotten, ignored, looked over. Um it takes something extra to kind of be given that missing classic thing. And I think in most cases, it, they were genuinely earned opinions. Tomb of the Cybermen is a classic. Mm. Dalek Invasion of Earth is a classic. Evil of the Daleks, Power of the Daleks, I am certain, are classics. And, and I think that their reputation is perfectly valid. And this idea that they don't live up to the hype as being the reason for a reappraisal, I think is also... Something that has consistently annoyed me for 30 years as being a bit cheap and easy. Mm. It's not that they get let down by it. It's simply that you're able to give a more well-rounded and accurate assessment of a story. You watch Tomb for the first time, as as I did at a local club meeting held in a local childcare centre that we'd hired for the day when I was... Mm. Well, I, I say we, the committee. Um, I was 12 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we, we sat down and we watched him the Cyber, and I remember that happening. You can sit there and, and, and suddenly, as you know, Rob, when we give a hot take reviews of episodes now, yeah. no matter how much we enjoy an episode, we say, that was great, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, there's always that part of the episode where we go, not sure about this bit, 
Mm -hmm. not sure about this performance or uh, that first special effect was a little cheesy wasn't it yeah that didn't work too well you know even in the 10 out of 10 hot take review of a new episode there is 5 or 10 minutes of here are things that we didn't think worked quite that well because that's the way that fans look at shows so because somebody's watching the Dalek Invasion of Earth they are able to keep in their head the idea that this is a great classic with some wonderful acting and some big st- staging and, and incredibly powerful Daleks and also go, but that sliver is absolutely woefully bad. <laughs> or, or yeah. you know, that, that shot at the cliffhanger of part five of Ian in the tube, like, it's done on a 1964 budget. We get it. Like, you can say there are faults in the story while still saying it's a classic. And, and, and it's that fandom thing that something is... That, that, that absolutistness in fandom, you know, if it's not a classic, it's crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, there's no room for, it's a classic that's not quite perfect. For me, it always came down to the target novelizations where you would read the story and you were reading a lot of dialogue that had been pulled from the story because back in those days they weren't really expanding these stories out you know so what you were reading was essentially stuff from the script so you knew it was in there and if you were lucky enough to have heard the audio you may have heard that and I, I think it's a Dalek Invasion of Earth you read that it's a no no brainer I mean yes it does start with the you know through the uh, ruin of a city stalk the ruin of a man and, and all that it's, it's like it starts really well and it's really exciting but I think you can tell it's a good story that's the thing that always confused me about Enemy of the World when that got found and people were saying, oh, I don't know how this will be. It's like, are you kidding? It's a fantastic novel. I think it's got legs. And as it turned out, people tended to like it more than Web of Fear, which got found at the same time. But I digress. This is your show. Yeah. Look, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there. The other thing particular to Dalek Invasion of Earth was that I think a lot of fans were familiar with the Cushing movies. Yes. And the first Cushing movie follows the plot beats of the Daleks, very, very closely. They are the same plot beats. It's a lot more Titans, it's a lot more money. You know, it's, you know, a different Doctor, but but it's the same story. The story of Dalek Invasion Earth 2150 AD, the movie, is very, very different from the Dalek Invasion of Earth. And after about halfway through what would be part two of the story, they go off in very different directions. And yes, there's a mine in Bedfordshire, but that's about as close to the, the plot as the second half of it gets. Yeah. So... There was also, I think, a real sense of like, huh, this is the story I know. This is a bit weird. The Robomen don't look like that, do they? And and that sort of familiarity with something that wasn't the same perhaps bred a little bit of contempt there. As for Cybermen with ping pong balls, I think that there's something deep inside fans that just doesn't see that, and other people do. We just, we just don't see that when we're watching it. We, we have this amazing ability to look at something and tell when it goes from being shot on video to shot on film, yeah. which, which, which other people don't seem to notice. Like, you see, oh, they've moved on to uh, filming for that bit. And other people are like, what do you mean? Well, you can see the different quality in the picture. Yeah. Other, other people don't do that, but um, fans do. But, but we don't see ping pong balls on Cybermen. We just, we just don't. No, no, we do not. Shall we move on to the third and final letter? Third and final letter. Let's go. I found this one quite interesting, actually. It's called Edited Special. Today, I bought the CBS Fox video release of The Five Doctors, despite the fact I've seen it more than 50 times. I hadn't expected to find five extra scenes, scenes I have never seen before. The five new scenes are when 
K9 calls after Sarah, telling her there is danger as he approaches the beware of the dog sign. The second doctor indicating for the brigadier to come on, followed by the master discovering the remains of a Time Lord counsellor. The master and the third doctor sequence starting with the master saying these thunderbolts are everywhere. Tegan and the first doctor walking where he tells her not to call him Doc. And Susan and Turlow seeing the cyberbombs for the first time when Turlow says big, isn't it? These scenes have never, ever appeared in any American telecast of The Five Doctors. Why not? That's from Stephen Manfred, Ellsworth, uh, Wisconsin, USA. And Doctor Who magazine actually replied and said, No one's ever pointed out these omissions before. Certainly they were transmitted in the UK and and are on the BBC version of the video. Any of our American readers care to confirm these cuts and offer reasons why? And I thought, well, this is a mystery, isn't it? And I know we've got US listeners. Maybe they can sort of chime in. Or maybe it's a well-known thing in fandom. I don't know. But it looks like Five Doctors was edited in the US. So a couple of points. Um, Interesting to hear that Stephen's from Wisconsin, which um, is a line from one of my favourite movies, Dogma, where um, Alan Rickman gets to give the line... Seriously, was Wisconsin really that bad? Um, <laughs> um, but look, very quickly, um, he says he's watched The Five Doctors 50 times. Well, what Doctor Who fan from that era hadn't watched The Five Doctors 50 times? Yes. I certainly have. As, as a kid, it was on regular rotation. It was so easy to just put on and enjoy, and I still love it. I still absolutely love The Five Doctors and could happily watch it another 50 times. The cuts. Now... My first instinct is to wonder, given it's American, were they cut for ads? Yes. I'm a little bit uncertain of that theory, though, because that list does sound incredibly familiar, and I feel like I've read that list elsewhere, so I wonder if there was a version that went out that way or that was was sold overseas that way, or whether I've just seen several different permutations of this same US phenomenon um, mm. and, and, and it was a cut for ads or a cut for time or or something because there's nothing in there that sort of jumps out as being a particularly alternate reason. You go, okay, that, that scene with the master finding the desiccated skeleton is a little bit gruesome. Could that have been cut for ratings purposes in America? Possibly. Mm. But then you go, you know, um, K9 and Sarah Jane that that's not particularly gruesome but um, it is at the end of a scene you know danger doctor you know and, yeah. and then the scene changes maybe they just trimmed it off there i don't know yeah but i don't, I don't think it would have been cut for sensor reasons though no oh no hell no and, unless you know that parker that she's wearing was was, was seen as offensive <laughs> which which is, is possible yeah that that, that really weird crime 80s, against fashion that it, it's like it's like it's like a cellophane parker yes. what, what was that thing that she was wearing I it would know. have been very hot. It, it, it would have been, and I'm fairly sure that the um, the time scoop. I'm, I'm fairly sure the time scoop used its good taste filter to remove it before she got to the death scene or something. But um, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it's the same thing as the transmat that issues the master with a cloak between leaving the capital and arriving in the death zone. Yes. So that that is a mystery. I don't know, but look, you wouldn't miss anything from the story with those scenes. No. No, and I didn't look it up because I didn't want to come on and be all know it all and know the answer if there is an answer. Mm. But I'm but I'm very intrigued now when we when we stop recording to go and look it up. Yes. So, um, headline for that letter: We don't know, but the five doctors is great. 
<laughs> Perfect. Perfect way to end the episode, I think, Dave. And on that bombshell. <laughs> yes, on that bombshell. Thank you for uh, sitting with me as we went through issue 186, uh, May 1992. Very fond memories. I, I have read and reread that issue many, many times because I think 181 was the first issue of DWM I bought as a uh, 11 or 12 year old so these were the early issues that I've owned for the longest and therefore had the longest time to nostalgically go back and reread did you keep the postcards that were stapled to the front cover or did you use them the postcards are somewhere but they are ripped out of the magazine and and, Uh you know not ripped up but um you know the the perforations have been taken out there they are they are there as postcards and in a drawer somewhere probably in my parents attic uh, is that set of postcards, I suspect. Mine are still attached. Uh, not quite the bombshell we would uh, normally end on, but <laughs> mine are still attached. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, let's do this again in a couple of months. I think so. See you then. Bye. Bye.